Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. He will raise a blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pause a moment for prayer. Lord, the wonderful grace of Jesus brought to us in the person of Christ, who lived and died for us, and is coming back for us. What a wonderful promise that where I am, there you may be also. May the excitement of what you have planned for us get inside us today. May we be about your business and telling others of, of your intention and, I believe, clear biblical principle to come back for your church at any moment. And so, Lord, may we be about your business. May as I was writing this morning, may we consider this day possibly to be our last day. How that would change us? It would really change us if we really believe that. So, Lord, maybe even a part of that would get into our lives. So, Lord, bless those teaching downstairs. Forgive me of sin. Empty me of self. Please fill me with your spirit today. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Let not your heart be troubled. If you read the devotional this morning from the uh, call to glory, uh, I like that last little phrase that says, uh, we are troubled because we don't know the troubled quencher. And so we, we have a troubled quencher who is the Lord. What are we troubled about today? There are so many things. The word troubled can mean agitated, anxious, worried, bothered, disturbed, uneasy, apprehensive, fearful, perturbed, distressed, disquieted, fretful, nervous, antsy, edgy, on edge, tense, overwrought, worked up, keyed up, jumpy, or just worried sick. So that can be part of trouble. Interestingly, in our authorized version, this same Tarasso's every single time, 17 times, is the word trouble. And so very consistent, troubled. Let not your heart be those things. Now, what are men, what are ladies, men, children most troubled about today across the world? I found this. There's global poverty. The worries are gender inequality, food scarcity, climate change, water crisis, environmental degradation, homophobia, transphobia, religion, communalism, which I'm not even sure what communalism is, global unemployment and sanitation. Family-wise, it's health relationships, finances, job security from the well, fam, very well family website. It's depression. I just learned this week that there are over 100 million people in the world who take medications for anxiety, uh, anxiety issues. There's also, in regarding the family, bullying, bullying uh, drug user, uh, using uh, alcohol use, obesity, academic problems, peer pressure, social media, on-screen violence. Wow. Aren't you glad we have a Savior who is yet in control? If we will turn to him, he's never let us down. He never will let us down. He is always faithful. My God is faithful. So is yours, Christian. Your God is faithful. The founder of the Salvation Army regarding what a Christian should do facing such a day, William Booth many years ago said these words, What does he fear? In answer to your inquiry, I consider the chief danger when confronting the coming century will be this. Religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, and heaven without hell. And so he it was, and I think what he is so worried about has come to fruition. And Daniel Sweet and says about American Christianity in a society in which there is no absolutes and every individual is a free agent. We are taught to be self reliant and independent. Christianity then is no longer the automatic default faith of young adults, and that's a problem. It is true. What is the automatic, I would say today, is nuns. 
they don't want anything to do with religion, period. We, we, we haven't seen it working in my parents' lives, perhaps, or our grandparents' lives, or in the world's lives. And we just want to be our own people. And so we really don't want religion, per se, in any way, shape, or form. That would be my personal thought. I don't know what the chief one is given, if you give a religion. What's plaguing Christians? How about biblical illiteracy? How about, or do we have closed minds? Have we become the church of Laodicea? Do we lack honesty? Do we have bad publicity? Have we gone back to the basics? Are we willing to serve? Issues, as you well know, coming Tuesday, there's going to be a lot of issues from the children's rights, apparent. Parents' rights to govern their children, to Afghanistan, the COVID economy, crime, abortion, border crisis, energy needs. There's a lot. You want to know there's a lot of needs, but we have a Savior who can count the leaves and the trees. If you've ever walked by or driven by houses today, and I will say, well, they've got more leaves than me. And so I'm like, woohoo, there's somebody got more leaves. Oh, he's got more leaves. The Lord knows them all. He knows every leaf, every tree, every insect, everything. Every flea on your cat and dog, if you've got dog, they, he knows them all. That's our God. And yet, he wants a relationship with you and with me. And he's coming back for us. Amen. He is. So, the purpose of the rapture. Verse number one, we're going to see the church prepared. 14 verse three, I go to prepare a place for you. Now today I'm going to center on the rapture. Next time we'll center on the context more, if you be willing to permit me to do that. A place. I've always thought, by the way, just a little hint next time that I've heard people say, well, God's up there and he's working for 2,000 years now to get our house ready. Where is Jesus at the right hand of the Father? It's where he is. I think he can do it in a moment's time. I don't think he has to be. What he has planned for us is going to be spectacular. But let's think biblically. He's at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. And I'm so glad for that. The church, the prepared church, the prepared people. Interesting, I, I've, we've learned, my wife and I of late, that no housing project is as simple as you think it's going to be. We have a closet now in our house that looks like one of those horror films. That has a, it, well, I, I've come to find out what the problem was. It was built, they had a chimney, uh, previous owners, and had a, what's a wood, I'd love to have a wood-burning stove there. But they had one, and the water's leaked in behind the chimney, down to the wall. So that wall's right where the chimney meets. And so uh, it doesn't need a chimney sweep. It needs a chimney something, a complete makeover is what it needs. It means that's what it needs. But no job is, and I wasn't quite prepared for all of that. Let me tell you, you can be prepared for Christ's coming. You can be when you know him as your very own personal Savior. After predicting he was going to his father's house, he said, let not your heart be troubled. Do you know why they're troubled? He's leaving. That is why they are troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. He's gone to prepare a place for us. Interesting, in the Jewish home context, as you well know, when I... When a young man, he either did this, he either built his own house and he on the wedding day would go get his bride and take her from her father's house to his house or they would build a room on, maybe perhaps a little bit like the Amish, a dowdy house, build a room on and he would bring her into his portion of the house on the wedding day. I've gone to prepare a place for you. And that's what he's done. He's, he's going to take us to himself. 
looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are looking for that blessed hope. I trust that you are the purpose of the rapture. Then the church prepared and his chosen people have gone to prepare a place for you. Can I just say, before we even go to point number two, the church and Israel still are distinct. God has a plan for the church. God has a plan for Israel. And we have not supplanted or replaced Israel. Israel still has a place in God's Plan for the ages, I want you to know. So we are not preterists. We're not putting aside Israel. I'm telling you, from the futuristic standpoint, from a historical grammatical understanding of Scripture, that they still have a place in God's plan. So his, the church prepared his chosen people. Secondly, not only the purpose of the rapture, the particulars of the rapture. I was reading Alexander McLaren said this. He said, the primitive church thought more about the second coming of Jesus Christ than about death or about heaven. The early Christians were looking not for a cleft in the ground called a grave, but for a cleavage in the sky called glory. They were not watching for the undertaker. They were watching for the upper taker. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. Why did Paul write to the church of Thessalonica those words? Because they're wondering what's going to happen to those who have already died when Jesus comes back. And that was the... The first century after Jesus' birth. They've been looking for Jesus to come since then. Are you looking for him to come now? We sometimes are lulled to sleep. The, the, the truth of God's word is still as relevant today as it was when it was pinned through the Holy Spirit. Paul pinned it through the Holy Spirit's prompting and inspiration back then in Paul's day. The terms, and if you turn back over to our 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, I want to pull a term out of here which refers really specifically to the rapture, which I'm sure you've been heard, you've heard about before. Hopefully you can be reminded or learn some new things today. That is the purpose, is to, to inspire, to encourage uh, you to read your Bible, to pray. I trust you read your Bible every day this week. I'm not going to ask you, but I trust that you did. Uh, I keep forgetting to do that, but I'll keep working on that. You keep reading it, and I'll keep maybe hopefully keep asking to remind you to do so. Find in 4.17 of 1 Thessalonians, then we which are alive and remain shall be raptured. There's our word. Rapturo, caught up together with them in the clouds. Who are the them? That's my mom and dad. That's my mother-in-law and father-in-law who've come down with Jesus and got their new bodies, burst the graves, and up they go. In a moment of time, we'll be changed have our new bodies, and up it's, it's either tenor or alto. I'm not sure which part I'm going to sing yet. They've got to sing the alto part because they're coming from heaven. The tenor about, woohoo, we go together. The single purpose of the rapture is to take the church from earth to heaven. The rapture is never mentioned, by the way, in the Old Testament. I believe this is likely as the first mention of it here in the New Testament. Jesus gives these words. Interesting, Martin Luther had two days on his calendar. Today and that day. Today and that day. And Martin Luther's in heaven now. Wow, I was a little bit early, like four or five hundred years. The rapture is a marvelous meeting of God in the air for all truly born-again believers. It's not for the Methodist or just the Baptist or even the bride of Christ Baptist or for the Episcopalians or whoever else you want to call it. It's truly born-again believers. That's his church. We're going to be raptured up. Raptura, raptura, seizing. David Cloud, just this past week in his uh, daily blog, said these words regarding the fundamental doctrine of the pre-tribulational rap pre rapture. What does that word mean? Pre-before. 
Tribulation, the seven-year, last 70-week of Daniel, the seven-year period where it's going to be terrible time on earth. So we believe, personally believe from Scripture, a pre-tribulational rapture. Before the rapture or before the tribulation happens, we're out of here. Pre. And so if you're a pre-tribulational rapture, you're also a pre-millennialist because you're out long before the millennium, at least seven years. He said these words. It's often said that the word rapture does not appear in the Bible. That word, R-A-P-T-U-R-E, does not appear in our authorized version. But that's not true, he says. It does appear in the Latin Bibles that were widely used for nearly, actually over a thousand years. Rapturo is the Latin translation for caught up in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. The Greek arpazo, it means to snatch away and is translated plucked up out in John 10, etc. And also caught away in Acts 8.39. With the Ethiopian eunuch, and Paul was caught up to the third heaven. Does the does the Paul then describe the rapture? Yes, he does. You say it was never in the Bible for over a thousand years. The people in the Western Church—that's all they knew—was the Latin Vulgate translation by Jerome. And so, yes, that word rapture is right in there. It's R A P T R A P I E. M-U-R, R-E-P-I-E-M-U-R. I'm not going to try to massacre the pronunciation, but we get our rendering rapture from that. So is it in the Bible? Yes, it was for over a thousand years. Our authorized translations in it in 1611, and they chose to use the words caught up. Same original word, haprazo, as they chose to use rapture. We find it, so the detractors who argue and say, well, Mr. Mr. Tim, that word's not even in your... And it's not in our King James Version. But the Greek words are just, they're just the same. And so it's been in the Bible well over the longest standing Bible version ever. The Latin Vulgate had the word rapture in it. And so just a little side note there, it has been in the scripture. And the same principle, it just they rendered it differently in our translation Arpazo, what does it mean? Clearly, it's, it's a verb. Now, uh, interesting, one uh, guy, two guys writing their commentary said, what does it mean? It means I'll fly away. I'll fly away. That's what it's going to mean. We're going to be flying away. It's going to be in the moment's time. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15, in a twinkling of an eye, one eight hundredths of a second, the twinkling of an eye. We're out of here. Is it possible that the Satan will be gathering his forces to try to keep us from getting to heaven? It's possible. It's possible. Satan has a lot of power, and there are forces around us, maybe even now, who are trying to have the gospel fall on deaf ears. Can't you imagine that Sunday's overtime? Everybody, okay, all of you, all of you evil spirits, you're working Sundays. Because that's when the most preaching's done. Would that not just make sense? Yes. To take suddenly, the word means vehemently, often with violence, to snatch away. The idea is taking by force. Our cat, was. we figured out this morning, I figured out why uh, Ivan likes the front little bay window there where it's, we can't even hardly reach him out there. Because there was a bird out on the um, on mom's uh, ramp there, and he was so intent watching that bird, and he wanted to get that bird. Good thing that window was there, because he had been jumping after that bird in a heartbeat, and so he was he wanted to snatch that bird, and I don't know what to do with it. He's never had a bird before, but I don't know, he'd find something to play with it probably. Snatch that bird. That's the idea. In a moment of time, before you know it. And sometimes there'll be there'll be the cats and neighbors' cats, and they have a bird. I'm not sure why they have a bird feeder out there in the middle of the yard, and neighbors' cats. I can see them. I try to. If I had a horn in my lawnmower, I'd go, burr, scare them off. But I can't. I don't know what. If I yell at them, I don't want to make the neighbors mad at me. You know, what are you yelling out there? What the cat don't get the bird? 
I like cats, but I also like birds, so they're weird to impasse. Or podzo, to rapture. And eschatological terms, eschatology, future things, and eschatological terms, it means to seize, like the future, to, to snatch us away. It's going to be amazing. The conveying or transporting of, of one person to another place or from one place to another. I would ask you this. Are you ready? Should Jesus come back as if he's on his way now and gets here within the next five minutes? Are you ready to go? Are you truly ready? Do you know Christ is your personal Savior? Do you have that set in granite in your mind? It's also in the Greek language a future passive indicative. Simply means this. In the context, the action exerted, passive, exerted on the outside by God. Indicative means it's a mood of certainty. So God is certainly going to come for us and get us, snatch us away. It's pictured of individuals being snatched up. Again, Philip in Acts 8. Paul's in the third heaven in 2 Corinthians 12. Believers are caught up to be at the Lord in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. And the child Jesus being caught up in Revelation 12.5. The idea of force to snatch them. By the way, there are six raptures in the scripture. Six. Either Enoch, Elijah, the Lord when he ascended, Paul to the third heaven, and there's going to be this one, which we're waiting for, and there's going to be the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11. So someone has said been, there are six raptures in the scripture. The term, there's rapture. And back to our text in John 14, the second word is imminent. John chapter 14, verse 3. John 14, verse 3. And I will, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also imminent. I-M-M-I-N-E-N-T. It means hanging over one's head, ready to befall or to overtake, close at hand. It's 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 that's what the idea is. And so if I had, and I'm not going to do it, but if I had a, a big pail of water and it was balancing precariously on just a little pole, at any moment it's going to fall over and here I go and get soaked or it's going to fall back. It's going to do something at any moment. That's the idea. It's imminent. An event is one that is always hanging over our head, always close at hand. If something else must take place before an event can happen, it's not imminent. My eating lunch at home in the dining room or upstairs somewhere is not imminent because I've got to get there first. I've got to drive the car, I've got to finish the sermon. You're saying hope it's quickly, but it's a sermon and we're eating over there and it's not imminent. But him coming back, for you and for me, Christian is imminent at any moment. It's hanging over our head. That's a good thing to have hanging over your head. Most times I think, man, i got so many things over my head. How can I get them all accomplished? There's one good thing hanging over our head. It's Jesus' return for us. Now, no one knows exactly when an imminent event will happen because there are three things. First of all, one cannot count on a certain amount of time transpiring before an imminent event occurs. There's a man in our congregation that's really hoping that the time comes for the rapture before he goes through the passage of death. We all should be that way. I really hope it does. My mom and dad were that way. Well, I hope the Lord comes back before I have to go through all that, the other things, but he didn't for them. Secondly, it's not legitimate to set a date for the occurrence of an imminent event. Date setting then insinuates that something has to happen either before. You know, I'm going to eat, I'm going to eat, uh, I'm going to eat my last meal uh, on July the 31st. 2035. I don't know. There's going to be a lot of things that have to happen before then. Wow, yes. I hope I'm in heaven alone before that. 
Imminent means nothing has to happen. Nothing has to happen before it really the event takes place. And third, it's not, not legitimate to say that because an event is imminent, it will happen soon. They were looking for Jesus to come in the New Testament. I'm looking for him to come in the later part of the New Testament. And a hundred years from now, should he tarry his coming, your grandchildren, my grandchildren, or great-grandchildren, or great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren, however many thousand years from now, are I don't think he's going to wait in a thousand years. Look at the signs of the times. I don't think it's a thousand years. I think it could maybe a thousand minutes. We don't know. See, we can't start doing those kind of things. We just know he's coming back. It's imminent. So putting these together, connecting the dots, his second coming is always at hand, hanging overhead, constantly ready to befall, overtake us, and is always close at hand in the sense it can happen at any moment. Other things may happen before Christ returned to earth, but nothing else biblically must happen before it takes place. Nothing has to happen before it takes place from the New Testament on. How is that possible? God would have worked it out. When the New Testament on, if he'd come back to the, for the lesson, come back during Paul's writing that letter, God would have worked it out. He didn't, and he hasn't yet. But he is coming. He is coming. If something else must happen first, then Christ's second coming would not be imminent. And because we do not know exactly when Christ will return, three things are true. First, we cannot count on one certain, uh, a certain time transpiring. We can't count on it. I'm telling you, you may not have this day. If you're, with, if you're here and you don't know Christ as personal Savior, I beg and implore you to get that settled today. You may not have tomorrow. Get it settled right now in your seat. The fact that the, and we, we find that, that we cannot set dates, we cannot set times. And I got my pages mixed up here. Number seven comes before nine, eight, and seven both come before that. There we go. Secondly, we cannot legitimately set a date. So we cannot count on a certain amount of time and we cannot legitimately set a date. Harold Camping of the Family Radio set first date was September the 6th of 94. Christ didn't come. Then there was September 29th of 05, Christ didn't come. Then there was October 2 of 05, Christ didn't come. And then there was May 21st of 11, Christ didn't come. And now he's gone to glory and we're still here. It was, do you remember 1988? Edgar Wisnett wrote 88 Reasons Why Christ is Coming in 1988. We're still here. He was wrong. See, if it's imminent, you cannot start setting dates. You cannot do it. It's not legitimate to do so. And we cannot thirdly necessarily say that just because Christ's second coming is imminent, that it will happen soon. It could happen soon. It may not be for a thousand years yet. Again, we can't see that happening, but the Lord knows we don't. A significant contrast now exists between the imminent return of Christ for his church and then his returning in glory, the revelation. And listen, just a couple of verses about this. In Matthew 24... Matthew 24, in case you're wondering, is it, is it, does the clock say almost 1 o'clock past is really good? No, I said it back, so we're right on time. So the clock's right on time, so you don't have to worry. Uh, well, you should have been done an hour ago, Pastor. I know, there we go. But uh, I said it, so you would uh, save that one little thing there. You won't have to worry about that. Matthew 24, Jesus is coming back for his church any moment. But he's going to come back to rule and to reign. I love what John Philip says. He must come for his saints before he comes with his saints. He's got to come for it. If we're coming back with him from glory on white horses, we've got to be in glory to come back, right? So how are we getting up there? No. He comes for us, the church. We have the married supper of the Lamb, at least the start of that. We have the judgment seat of Christ. We're up there for a while. Tribulation here on earth. All, all Hades is going to be let loose on earth in many respects. I'm going to say that respectfully. 
It's going to be a terrible time. We're up in heaven. More people come to know Christ possibly during the tribulation than the entire church age. Possibly. We don't know. But millions will. And millions are going to lose their lives. Israel's going to be persecuted the last half. And we're still up in heaven. And then at the end of that seven years, here we come. And he leads us. King of kings. Lord of lords. That's the great revelation of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, Revelation, the book of Revelation is leading up to chapter 19, verse 11 to 15, when he comes back and he, king of kings and lord of lords, and out of his mouth shoots a sword, and all his enemies are zoom. That's the revelation. That's the picture we have here in Matthew 24, 21. For then shall be great tribulation. I believe great tribulation refers to the last half of the seven years. Such as will not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor, nor ever shall be. 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of power, heaven with power and great glory. I'm turning immediately. Can you go with me quickly to Revelation chapter 19, and we'll pick up the rest of the story or more of the story. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. He's coming with power and great glory. Revelation chapter 19. Verse 11, And I saw heaven open to behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed, I believe this is us, in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of almighty God and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written king of kings and lord of lords that is what we're waiting for when he comes back to rule and to reign uh, uh, Mr. Handel captures it wonderfully and he shall reign forever and ever hallelujah 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 and that should be our response he is going to rule and to reign before that happens though we have the rapture of the church let not your heart be troubled you believe in god believe also in me in my father's house what is that tense of that word are present tense are many it's already there i'm going for a place for you but I'm coming back for you. And then, at least seven years later, he's going to come back and he's going to clean house. He's going to clean house. And every single person who stood against him, there's going to be the judgment of the sheep and the goats. The goats sent into punishment, eternal punishment, etc. So the pre-tribulational rapture review. Now I'm going to sum it all up. Here we go. Teaches that Christ will come to rapture, catch away, snatch away the church before Daniel's 70th week, which also known as the tribulation, seven years. That nothing else must happen before the coming and that Christ's coming could take place at any moment. Christ's imminent coming should then motivate us to live our lives as if the rapture could happen on any given day. We should have two days on our calendar, today and that day. And perhaps Today and that day will overlap this day. Wouldn't that be amazing? It would. The terms, the timing, real briefly. The timing is this. 
The one single purpose of the rapture, take the church from earth to heaven. The major passage of the rapture, we read it already, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Christ coming back in the air. And there's nothing else associated with this. When he comes back to rule and to reign, there's the, there's the battle of Armageddon. There's the judgment of the sheep and the goats. There's these things happen. A Christ, uh, or excuse me, the beast and the false Beast and false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire for, I'm sorry, that's right, for a thousand years. Devils wrapped up for a thousand years. That all happens at the great revelation of Christ. For the rapture, it's we're gone. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of the eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. And we're going to move from this earth to be with him. I trust you're ready. There is the purpose, the particulars, and the promise. Back over again in 3, 14, 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Don't you love that? When he was leaving on the Mount of Olives, this not a, not a false teacher, not a false, this same Jesus you have seen is coming back to rule and to reign the great revelation of Christ Revelation 19 however we are prepared not for the undertaker but we are prepared for the upper taker so I say to you this morning before I pray let not your heart be troubled you believe in God Jesus said believe also in me he's coming back just as surely as he came the first time He's coming back the second. Matter of fact, there's two, two times more prophecy about his second return and his first coming as a manger. So let us be prepared. Let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you for the promise of your return. May it excite our souls. May it fill us with the impetus to be about your business this day. May you give us opportunities to live for you, to serve you, to tell others about you. Lord, be with this pastor that I would be about your business. May, Lord, may the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and the light of your imminent return, your glory and grace. So, Lord, bless us. Help us to lay aside the things that are so easily besetting us and let us run with patience the race set before us. Lord, if there be even one person on the sound of my voice that has yet to receive you as Savior, may the day, this very day, be the day of salvation for them. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.